0: Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. I'm super excited about starting a new sermon series today. Foster can tell you how much I, I've really kind of struggled over where to go next in the midst of a pandemic. I think murder hornets were in there somewhere. I, I, those those kind of fell by the wayside. Maybe, maybe they're gone. Uh, of course, the the terrible race riots that we see happening in some of our some of our larger cities last night in Atlanta was was another um, another devastating night. And then not only those events, but of course we understand the fallout of all those events. Those things don't happen in a bubble. We're we're going to be dealing with the. The consequences of these things for, for a long time to come. Uh, we don't know how long exactly. And so I, I just kept praying uh, Lord, what's in the word for us in this season? What, what is it that you have for us during this season that we're in? And finally it finally hit me a few weeks ago that it was time to tackle what is, I believe, one of the most challenging sections of the New Testament. It's not challenging because we don't understand it. It's not challenging because the, the words are coded. It's not like going through the book of Revelation and trying to understand the, 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 the visionary language that's in the book of Revelation or in, or in Daniel. It's not challenging because the, the original language is hard and there's some nuances there that we don't necessarily understand. It's challenging because the words that we're about to look at from the Sermon on the Mount in a very real sense they cut to the bone they they get to the heart of who we are as Jesus followers they challenge us in ways that very few words actually do it's challenging for me because there's this very real sense of all that I'm going to actually be preaching through the preaching of Jesus which is of course I believe that all the words of the Bible are inspired words of God but these are, these, these are words that Jesus presented in a sermon, and so I feel incredibly, incredibly inadequate to be able to open these words and do justice to the words of Jesus. And so these are challenging on a couple of ways, but so we got our work cut out for us, and I hope that by the time we finish these three chapters and as we look at Luke just a little bit, that... Um, That we will do justice to these precious words, that we will rightly apply these words to the uh, to our lives, that we will live up to the standards that Jesus gives us. So this morning is going to be a little bit of a different type of sermon. If you're accustomed to my preaching, you know that I kind of tackle a verse and work through the verse, but this morning is going to be more of a more of an intro. And so I, I would say that if you're if you, you know, next week, if you didn't catch this week, go back and listen to this week because because you're going to need the intro to to really set the stage for where we're going over the next several months. So today I'm going to introduce this series. We're going to set the stage. Next week we're going to begin to work through the Beatitudes, but today there's some things that we need to grasp uh, from the Lord's words as we prepare for the Sermon on the Mount. So if you've got your Bible today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. We're actually going to be starting right before the teaching of Jesus begins. So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 4 this morning, starting right there in verse 23. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And I would ask if you're here in the room with me, would you stand as we read God's word together from Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 23, from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Chapter 5, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them. God, I thank you for the words of Jesus that we're going to be looking at. I thank you for the word of God that, that precedes this sermon that set the stage for us. Lord, may we rightly understand your words as we work through these chapters of your precious Bible. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Various authors have described these three chapters in different ways. Some have called this the the Kingdom Manifesto. Others have described the Sermon on the Mount as the norms of the kingdom. Some have called it the character of the kingdom. For my purposes during this series, I will be calling it the constitution of the kingdom. As I believe that there are principles that are contained within these three chapters that set for us the expectations of what it means to live in the kingdom of God. Another author described it as the greatest sermon ever preached, by the greatest preacher that ever lived. Of course, I think that's an appropriate description as well. Although it's an interesting description because we don't have all the sermons that Jesus preached. So we don't really know all of the things that that Jesus said during his earthly ministry. The Apostle John actually tells us in the last verse of his gospel that there aren't enough books to contain all of the things that Jesus did But written for us in the preserved record, the preserved Word of God, is this remarkable three-chapter body of teaching. It's it's some of the most remarkable, earth-shattering words that are contained in the whole of Scripture. And so one thing that we do know is that, that, though we certainly don't know if it's the the greatest sermon ever preached, we do know that the Sermon on the Mount is the most famous sermon ever preached. Preached. And it has far reaching impact, even beyond the Christian faith. Mahatma Gandhi is well known to have, uh, to have had a, a strong of, of, of approval of the Sermon on the Mount, even though he was not a Christian. He was introduced to the sermon when a friend in London gave him a Bible, and though Gandhi did not embrace the Christian message of the Bible, the sermon had a profound impact on his politics and his activism. During the rise of Nazis in Germany, German theologians rewrote portions of the sermon in order to make it more palatable for their what I believe to be demonic worldview. In the Nazi version of the Bible, die Botschaft Gottes The sermon appeared, however, they changed the words. In the sermon written in the Nazi version of the Bible, it's interesting, there was no blessing reserved for the merciful. On the other side of the front, German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was martyred at the hands of the Nazis, wrote his most notable work, the book entitled The Cost of Discipleship. It was clearly driven by the Jesus teaching in the sermon. If you've never read The Cost of Discipleship, it should be on the must-read book list for every single person who is a Christian. The sermon deeply influenced Martin Luther King's worldview as well. In a sermon he preached in 1957, words that we deeply need to hear in this world today. King was reflecting on Jesus' call to love your enemies. He said it this way, and it is significant that he does not say like your enemy. Like is a sentimental something, an affectionate something. There are a lot of people that I find it difficult to like. You ever feel that way? I don't like what they do to me. I don't like what they say about me and other people. I don't like their attitudes. I don't like some of the things they're doing. I don't like them. But Jesus says, love them. And love is greater than like. Love is understanding, redemptive goodwill for all men so that you love everybody because God loves them. You refuse to do anything that will defeat an individual because you have agape in your soul. And here you come to the point that you love the individual who does the evil deed while hating the deed that the person does. That is what Jesus means when he says, love your enemy. Again, we would all do well to remember his words in this unsettled season. We literally could spend all day looking at the impact of the sermon on our culture. We could spend all day researching and looking at how the Sermon on the Mount has shaped the worldview of so many different people, but I want us to be able to move on. I think that what we are going to find as we mine the depths of these three chapters that we can spend time looking at each verse and still not probe the the magnitude of what Christ is saying in the sermon. And though you can read these chapters in about 10 minutes, the original sermon was likely more of an event than a 10-minute sermonette. Some have suggested that the original sermon on the mountain was literally hours of teaching, which means you probably needed to bring lunch with you and start snacking in the middle of it. So what we have preserved for us today is just a small portion of a much greater message that we won't hear the complete picture of this side of heaven. When you consider the sermon in its original context, one of the things that you have to notice is that it didn't take long for people to be drawn to Jesus. It didn't take long for people to take notice of this Messiah. In Matthew chapter 4, if you go back and look, you see that Jesus successfully defeated the devil and all his temptations in the wilderness duel that took place there. After the temptations in the wilderness, Jesus began his public ministry in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, says that Jesus started preaching. He came out of the wilderness and started preaching. And we're given the message of his preaching there. The message of his preaching was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That sounded radical and revolutionary especially for a people who were desperate for their Messiah, who were desperate to overthrow the rule of foreign powers. And so people began to follow by the droves. We're told that they came from all over to hear from Jesus, that they brought all these sick and he healed them. People began to follow Jesus literally by the droves. In the meantime, Jesus begins to build his team, calling out those who would particularly invest Uh, whom he would particularly invest in during those three years of his public ministry. And the verses immediately before the sermon, preceding the sermon, tell us that Jesus was busy preaching, healing, proclaiming the advent of the kingdom, and his fame was spreading. The sermon comes to us as Jesus is climbing the pop culture charts, and as then he climbs the mountain, gathers his disciples around him, and lays out the manifesto of the kingdom that he has been proclaiming. Here's the thing. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to be part of this kingdom, then you need to know the nature of that kingdom. And they found that it was like nothing that they'd experienced before. It's also important that we don't miss all the Old Testament connections and parallels that are prominently at work here. Again, this is why we as Christians affirm the entirety of the Scripture, not just the New Testament. We believe the old and new are inspired and errant words from a holy God. First, you see that Jesus is a picture of a new Moses. If you remember, Moses climbed the mountain and he gave the law to the people from the mountain. Jesus here ascends the mountain and he is giving a new law that governs this new kingdom. It was promised in Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 15 as the Lord promised that there would be a prophet who was greater than Moses that would be raised up. And Jesus here is declaring himself to be that prophet. Secondly, we need to understand Jesus through the lens of the kingdom. If you've got a kingdom, then you've got to have a king. And Jesus here is firmly declaring himself to be the king of this new kingdom. And in doing so, he is declaring that he is the son of David who will rule eternally over the throne. Jesus proves himself not just to be the king by name, but the king by nature. He is the ideal king who not only gives the law, but he is the only king who is able to embody the law and perfectly follow it. So at work throughout these three chapters, we see the echoes of King David and Moses. But as we go forward, there's a couple of big ideas that we need to keep in mind as we work through these important texts. The first one is this. The Sermon on the Mount doesn't tell us how to get into the kingdom. Rather, it gives us the expectations of kingdom citizens. What do I mean by that? There are some people who look at the expectations listed in the three chapters of the Sermon on the Mount and they think that this is a a set of moral teaching that if we'll just follow these instructions that we'll be guaranteed a ticket into heaven. Folks, you're not saved by keeping the Sermon on the Mount. You're not saved by doing what Jesus says here in these verses. We are never saved by works. We are only saved by faith through Jesus and His shed blood. The moral teaching that He gives us here is telling us what it looks like for those of us who are in the kingdom, those of us who are in Christ. So he's not giving us a set of works that are designed to qualify us for the kingdom. Instead, he is telling us what the consequences should be of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand that when we put our faith and trust in Christ, that there is a necessary change that takes place. We're given a new heart. And with that new heart, there's a new set of of guiding principles. There's a new set of standards that we, we go by. And part of the Sermon on the Mount is giving us that set of standards of what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. There's a document... It's not very familiar in today's world. It's sort of important, though. It's called the United States Constitution. Uh, it was written at a time that was designed to give guidance to this nation as long as this nation existed. However, in this day and age, there's a, a growing desire to, to rid us of, of the burdens of that document. Uh, so that we can have our own anarchy zones where, where, there, are, where there is no authority, where there is, no, where there is no, no, no sort of guidance that's there. However, I do believe the U.S. Constitution is, a, is an important document, and I think that an important part of the U.S. Constitution is the Bill of Rights. In that Bill of Rights, you see a, a list of, of freedoms that we are guaranteed as citizens of this nation. The Bill of Rights gives us guidance as to what it looks like to be a citizen of the United States of America. There are certain things that we recognize that are, are not changeable as a result of their presence in that document. For example, we understand that there is a freedom of religious expression. We have the freedom to gather as Christians, and guess what? Our Muslim friends have the freedom to gather as Muslims as well. Their freedom together is, is guarded just like our freedom together is guarded. The, the Hindu temple over on the bypass over there is a, is, a, is a protected place. They're free together there under the guidance of the United States Constitution. That ought not be changed. We have the, a free press, and that press is free to be liberal. That press is free to be conservative. That press is pre, is, That press is free to be the press. We have the right to be an armed citizenry. The Second Amendment gives us the right to to bear arms, and that's not giving us permission to wear tank tops. That's giving us permission to to have, have weapons in our home. We have the right to a fair judicial process. We have the right to a limited federal government. If you take away any of those rights, you have fundamentally altered the character of our nation. Every one of them is precious, every one of them is held dear, and no one should be seeking to take those rights away as it would alter our country. The Sermon on the Mount functions in much the same way. These these attitudes, these behaviors, these, these definitions that are given to us in the Sermon on the Mount define the character of the kingdom of God. And if we take away any of these things, we will have fundamentally altered the character of the kingdom of God. So the Sermon on the Mount is is given to us as a list of expectations of what it looks like to be citizens of the kingdom. As a result, the Sermon on the Mount should function as a spiritual mirror. This morning, if you looked in your bathroom mirror, you saw an accurate reflection of your appearance. Good, bad, or, well, ugly, I understand that some of y'all are still in your PJs. I get it. That's okay. You may not have made it to the mirror just yet. That's okay, too. However, I think we generally trust our bathroom mirrors that they reflect an accurate picture of who we are, unless you've got a carnival mirror in your bathroom to make you feel taller or shorter or whatever. And what does that mirror reflect? Well, and I'll give you an indicator what my mirror reflects when I wake up. It says, you need to shave. That's what it reflects. There's a problem. I need to shave. It it, it reflects, maybe I didn't sleep well. These things right here show me that that maybe I didn't sleep well last night. Um, Some of you, the mirror says, you need to go ahead and schedule that post quarantine hair appointment. The, the mirror's not telling a lie. The mirror is giving an accurate reflection of who you are. When we read the Sermon on the Mount, we need to recognize that we are looking into a mirror, and it's not looking at our faces, but it is looking at our Christian character. And it demands that we answer the question how are we doing as kingdom citizens? How are we doing in loving our enemies? How are we doing in our meekness? How are we doing in our prayer lives? Sometimes a mirror reveal reveals good things. Sometimes mirrors reveal flaws. So maybe the sermon points out some areas where you're making some real progress in your discipleship. You're making some real progress in your sanctification. But I think if we're honest, we also understand that the sermon is going to reveal some areas where we've got some work to do. Where my life does not reflect the kingdom ideals that are given to us in the sermon on the mount. Jesus' words here should help To shape our character as kingdom citizens. So we need to make sure that we are paying attention to the image that we see in the mirror. And thirdly, as we approach the Sermon on the Mount, we need to understand that the sermon is not law, it's gospel. Some people have read the sermon and said, man, this is too hard. You see what Jesus said there? He said to He said, if your enemy hits you, give them the other side to hit. Jesus said, said that if you if you even thought dirty about somebody, that's the same as doing the dirty act with them. Hey, Jesus said some things that are really hard for us to embrace, really hard for us to follow. Surely these aren't things that he expects of us. These aren't things that he, he, he knows we struggle in our flesh. He knows that we're never going to live up to these ideals. So some have said if you read the Sermon on the Mount, you say it's too hard, and so the intent of the sermon is just to push us to the cross. That that I'm too feeble as a human being to be able to live up to these standards, and so I am a sinner, and my only hope is to plead the mercy of Jesus at the cross. That's my only hope. Is that really the point of these three chapters? To drive us to the cross? It ought to drive us to the cross. It ought to throw us to our knees. Is that really what Jesus did this teaching for? By describing it this way, we are treating it like the Old Testament law. It reveals just how flawed I am, so therefore I can't really follow it. I love what Jonathan Pennington said about this. He said that the Sermon on the Mount is wisdom from God, and it's inviting us through faith To reorient our values, our vision, our habits from the ways of external righteousness to wholeheartedness toward God. This isn't law, but gospel. Jesus is inviting us into life in God's kingdom, both now and in the age to come. That's not law, he says. That's grace. Here's the thing. Every single one of us is going to come up short in our attempts to perfectly live out the ideals given to us in the Sermon on the Mount. None of us are going to be able to get this right 100% of the time. Some of us look at this and say, I, 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 I'd be happy with 10% preacher, and that's, that's, that's probably a good goal to start with here. But here's the thing. Our inability to keep the principles does not mean that we should write it off as being irrelevant like it's some obscure Old Testament law about mildew in your home. There's some weird things in the Old Testament that we look at and say, ah, that's not really applicable to where I'm at today. But we don't write off Jesus' teaching here because it's hard. We don't write it off because it's difficult. We don't write it off because there's some things that we wrestle with. What we actually find is that the Sermon on the Mount is inviting us into a very, very practical life of discipleship, both as we live as citizens of the kingdom of God today and as we wait for the kingdom to come in its fullness. So, if we truly believe that the gospel changes hearts, And that's what this book says. So if we really do believe that the gospel changes hearts, then Jesus' expectations in the sermon are a reflection of what that changed heart should begin to look like as we grow in Christ. The fact of the matter is that we're not going to get a lot of these things right every time. But these do provide for us spiritual guideposts in our journey. So this week I've got two challenges for you. Two challenges. The first challenge is is this week I would challenge you to read through these three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and you can flip over and read the condensed version over in Luke chapter 6. Luke 6 is the Cliff Notes version of of the longer body of teaching there in 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew's Gospel. And what you're going to find as you read through these three chapters is that the sermon touches on a long list of issues. You'd like to hear the list? Of course I have the list. I'll share it with you. It touches on our attitudes, it touches on how we handle conflict, it touches on how we handle opposition, it touches on how we handle money, materialism, it touches on how we deal with flattery, love, generosity, it touches on how we deal with our enemies, it touches on our heavenly rewards and earthly rewards, it touches on mercy and hypocrisy, the inner man, works, discernment, judgmental attitudes, it talks about prayer, forgiveness, discipleship, obedience, loyalty, wisdom, reality, security. That's a pretty good list of things to start with. Say, Pastor, I want to grow as a disciple in Christ. We'll start here. You get these things worked out, you're going to be doing pretty good. So read through these three chapters. If you'd go over to Luke, read Luke as well. And read through them as a man or woman looking in the mirror. Take note of the areas where you feel like you're making some progress. You know what, I'm I'm doing okay here. Uh, I'm I'm handling this okay. Write it down. But also take notice of some areas where you're struggling. Areas where you're coming up pretty short. Areas where perhaps even in this hypersensitive environment that we're in, you've had some things exposed. Write those down. Areas where you need to make some progress. And challenge yourself as we work through these verses for the next six months that you would see some growth in those areas. And what I would encourage you to do is write it down on a little slip of paper and use it as a bookmark. And so that every week we gather and we look at these passages, you can see those areas where the Holy Spirit says, Brian, there's some things you need to work on. And the hope being that as we work through this, the Holy Spirit starts to work in our hearts. And we see growth and progress in some of the areas where God has convicted us. When we finish this series, look at your list and praise the Lord for the progress that's been made. The second thing uh, I would encourage you to do is as we work through these verses, I would invite you to join me, I'm putting myself on here, in memorizing the Sermon on the Mount. Scripture memory is a lost art of the church today. We don't focus on it. We don't emphasize it nearly as much as we used to. And so I would encourage you to join me in six months to memorize the Sermon on the Mount. Why does it matter? Well, think about the original context of the Sermon on the Mount. You know what Jesus did not do? He did not pass out a manuscript of what he was saying. He didn't have sermon notes. He didn't have slides with projector with projected images the original sermon on the mount was written with the or was given with the intent that it was an oral delivery to a auditory audience and so the folks who were there had to process it right there in their ears and in their minds they didn't have it written down for them in any way shape form or fashion we're blessed in that we have the bible everywhere I mean, we got the Bible everywhere. It's in our phones. It's in our it's it's on our pads. It's on the computer. You can search Google for it. I mean, you if you can't find the Bible today, I, I can't I can't help you because the Bible's everywhere for us today. Join me in memorizing this three chapters. It's a lot to memorize. I'd love that we're going to finish this series at the, right after Thanksgiving. I would love for us to be able to have a, a Sunday night or a Wednesday night where we just stand up and take turns reciting the Sermon on the Mount. I think that would be a, a, an incredibly edifying thing to do, just to have God's people stand up and one at a time recite the Sermon on the Mount. I don't care if you memorize it in the ESV, the KJV, the Message, the NASB. I don't care if you use the HCSB, the CSB, whatever. There's some you probably shouldn't use but memorize it. Spend some time each day memorizing it. Each week, memorize the passages that we are going to be looking at. Finally, as you read through the Sermon on the Mount, maybe you find that your character is completely out of sorts with what a kingdom citizen looks like. say, Pastor, I, I struggle with all these things. I don't see victory in any of these areas. There is nothing about these words that I'm getting right. It may be that there's some heart conditions there that are deeper than just, uh, than, than just surface level. And it may be that you're not even a citizen of the kingdom at all. And so I would encourage you that if you read through these, these words and you find yourself being constantly defeated in all of these areas, that that may be something that you need to get right. It may be a gospel issue for you today and that you need to first become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you begin to make progress in growth in these areas. I'd love the opportunity to talk with you about that. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the Sermon on the Mount and for the time that we are going to have to spend looking at these precious words. God, I pray that you will help us as citizens of the kingdom to live up to the ideals that you give us therein, and I pray, Father, that the time we spend looking at these words, these precious words, will be well spent. Lord, help us to look at the sermon in a mirror this week, and Lord, help us to begin the process of, of even memorizing uh, these, uh, uh, these chapters as, uh, as we commit them to our hearts. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for those in the room and those who are watching online. God, we're grateful in Jesus' name. thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.